Within the depths of the strip mall of the Dam lies a decrepit video store long since shuttered. Past the dusty shelves, empty save for spiders spinning their patient webs. Beyond the ancient bat-winged doors guarding the sepulcher where once were hidden the perverse and heretical, a secret society assembles to scrutinize those films which are rumored to drive viewers to madness and disillusion. Draw closer, dear listener. Let your trembling ears sup upon the eldritch knowledge of the Cinemania Society. We, we the brethren of the Lens of Palm, do convene to judge of this offering of cinema be worthy of our esteem, or be cast down as worthless hokum. Let us all as in judgment. Welcome back, brethren, listeners. Welcome back from recess. I hope you've all had the opportunity to relieve yourselves and empty your minds of any impending sense of cinemania. The story so far is that we have watched Wild Zero, Japanese punk zombie movie from 2000 by Tetsuro Takeuchi, which transgresses all boundaries, shoots them in the head, if you will, like a shambling zombie from beyond and features the Japanese analog to the Ramones, the notorious Chet punk band, Guitar Wolf. Instead of expose ourselves to irreversible cinemania by analyzing this film in its entirety, we have convened to each analyze the film from the perspective of one of its characters in the style of Rashomon. In the first episode, we covered the tales of Guitar Wolf and Yamazaki. In the second part, we covered Toshi and the Captain's Tale. And today is the third and final part of our conclave, wherein we will complete our analysis and render final judgment. All right. <laughs> I'm ready. Why wait? Judgment is necessary. What more could possibly be said? Only the best judgment. Listen, 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 listen. There's not enough flamethrowers. That's my only criticism. Well, one of several, but that's okay. Brethren, brethren, wait, what's that? Do you, do you hear that? Hey, brethren. Huh? We have an incoming transmission. Hey, brethren, can you hear me? Triangulating the signal. It appears that it's coming in from, from Interzone. Can you read Call me? Call the Hey, hey. I'm not getting reception. Fetch yourself up to the top of the radio tower. C- could I maybe not go this time? How about now? Nonsense! Get all the way yes, to the top no, of that tower. It's me? only 150 feet, for God's sake. Very well. Could I have the ladder? Let me crack the whip on Brother A Mathieu, ladder? Right? It's a ladder in and of itself. Get up could there I and get to climbing. I... Can you hear me now? Don't leave me hanging like a cell phone here. I'm going to angle the feet. Just another five degrees. Put your back into it, man. We've almost got him, Brother Methuselah. Can you hear me now? Brother Daniel, do you read me? Brother Daniel, do you copy? Yes, yes. I, f- I feel like a cell phone advertisement. Can you hear me? I can Brother hear you. Daniel's alive? Apparently. <laughs> Brother Daniel, we th- all thought you died from Cinemania. Last I heard, you were boarding a plane for Interzone to go live in sin with your typewriter. Oh, Naked Lunch wasn't that bad. Uh, but yes, I, I don't believe in long-term relationships, so uh, I've actually uh, taken up a flat um, with a cockroach uh, crossbreed with a typewriter. Um, we're very happy together. Kinky. Man's got to have a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I learned from from Naked Lunch that if one wants to be a writer, one must have a cockroach typewriter. So, uh, uh, brother brother Daniel, while you are uh, <clears throat> while you're in Interzone, were you able to secure the stuff I wanted? Oh yes, um, 
I have a whole suitcase full of the black. You got sufficient quantities. I should hope a suitcase will do for your purposes. Sharing is caring. Yes, Brother Andre, sharing is caring. I assume it's undamaged. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's in good shape. Um, <laughs> but but uh, no no sharing with Doctor Benway. Um, I feel like uh, we're still working on your visa. We'll get you back here before too long. I assure you. I'll take a Mastercard. That's fine. <laughs> How about a diner's club? I believe my diner's club is still open. <laughs> Leave no. him there and let him rot. Costco membership. It will also not do. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Andre. And, and have you uh, managed to avoid the Black Centipede Mafia? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Though um, I have to say it required no small amount of, of stealth and cleverness on my part. And um, I had to pull on three different favors. So, um, uh, you know, uh, our, our naked, slimy Greedo friend, um, now I'm, I'm completely indebted to him. Wow. Oh, it's never good to be in with the mugwumps. No. Why not? No. So I, I mean, it, it made for a lovely double date. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that, I mean, that's how we that's how we watch Wild Zero, in fact. Yeah, how'd, you, you, how'd you like it? I, I can't believe it. You actually survived to watch Wild Zero. You doubled down. <laughs> You're already suffering a nearly irreversible case of cinemania such that you went to go live in sin with a manic cockroach asshole talking typewriter hybrid and a mugwump. And you still watch Wild Zero. You still have the sanity intact enough to watch Wild Zero. Well, I actually, I, I managed to get them into a program off of Roach Powder. So, so yeah, so we're, we're in a much better place now. Nice. Um, so, so, yeah, uh, watch Wild Zero. And um, I feel like I came through that largely unscathed. Huh. So you didn't find it uh, a, a foul assault on the ears and the senses that left you absolutely brain-addled and unable to move. I don't know about foul. I think it's engaging. I'm, I'm with Brother Andre on this one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's not forget the spaceships. Oh, yeah. Th- those those lovely dangling off a string rotoscoped spaceships. <laughs> oh, 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 all right, then, bro- Brother Daniel. T- tell us, tell us what, what engaged you. What was it about Wild Zero that engaged you so? Enlighten us. It felt like someone had taken all of the stereotypes of about three or four subgenres of sci-fi horror and just threw them down into into a, like a boggle, uh, yes. boggle. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> shook it up and then looked for a couple of a couple of words they could spell out. Perfect. And, and that was it. They were just like, okay, lasers from the eye beams and rock and roll and flamethrowers. And fl- yes, the flamethrowers, right? Um, romper suits and spaceships and zombies and um, rock and roll. Like it was Bubba Hotep meets Evil Dead meets um, half a dozen other things, which is really funny because each of those movies is a, it's a this meets a this meets a this. So you have this weird like metascape of movie riffs um, with absolutely no sense to them whatsoever. Perfect. I, yes, it's a Disney World ride of awful genres all getting along in harmony. Yes, that is an excellent way to put it. I thought it was almost like um, Plan 9 from Outer Space crossed with Rock and Roll High School. There you go. That's another one. That's the thing. It has like an infinite number of these um, 
sort of X meets Y uh, pitch pitch statements you could make about it. Could you imagine how what a pitch session must have been like for this movie? The best. Imagine the, the pitch session was just a, a drug-addled Japanese man screaming into the face of baffled producers and just demanding money. I, you know, it was probably that plus like their leading line wasn't, okay, so I have this movie. It's this meets this. It was just, here, snort this. Ah, but the, the big question is, is it punk? I mean, they, they talk about punk and what happens in punk and what is and isn't, but is this movie truly punk? Does it meet that standard for you? Do they talk about punk or do they talk about rock and roll? Well, I mean, they only ever refer to themselves as rock and rollers, but it's very clearly a punk aesthetic that the film is going for. But mm. do they achieve that? Is, is it punk? Yes. You know, it's, it's anti-establishment. Oh, yes. I don't, in fact, I would argue there's very little that you could say it's actually for. It's anti <laughs> just about everything. Right. It's not just anti-establishment. It's just unestablished. Like, there's, there's no foundation to this movie whatsoever for it to stand on. It just kind of randomly goes from scene to scene with the general idea that, well, sooner or later, being a zombie movie, we have to get to some, you know, finishing point, right? But then because it's an alien movie, we have to get to this other finishing point. So they put them both together at the end with laser beams from the eyes of different colors. Well, Brother Daniel, I believe you once told me you were originally from New Jersey. How does this stack up against your uh, hometown heroes uh, of uh, Larry Kaufman and Troma films? Oh, oh, OK. So uh, that's an excellent question. Um, I, <laughs> I, I am I'm something of an academic specialist in trauma. Um, you, you have to be um, from a trauma physician, if you will. <laughs> trauma physicist, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well put, brother Andy. Um, yeah. So, th first of all, there's not nearly enough nipple piercing for this to be uh, to back up to a trauma film um, in that regard. Um, and I'd say it's less gory. Um, I was expecting more gore coming into this movie. There was some, but not nearly as much as I was expecting. I feel um, like probably if they could have got the money together for more gore, it would have been in there. Or just more they, exploding heads. Why not? They, they clearly had to make choices about, shall we have another explosion or another head exploding or another alien spaceship? And they made their choices. Something had to go. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and their budget, it must have been really, really low because I've seen trauma budgets and the amount of just red goo they can throw around on like 20 bucks is impressive. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say that um, trauma films generally have a similar level of nonsensical transition from one scene to the next. Like, okay, how did mm -hmm. we get here? Um, but even less consistency in character. Like they will just completely drop characters for no apparent reason. You just never see them again. This movie actually kind of tied the knots together reasonably well. Yeah, I could see these characters having a life before this film and going on to do other adventures after it. You know, they weren't just ciphers that appeared in a scene and that was all they were. Oh, I didn't even just mean that. But like, if this had been a trauma film like Toshi, Toshi would have just vanished. Like we, would we have no idea what, whether he, what happened to him. Just we wouldn't even see him get left behind and we don't know what happened to him. It's just like he's in the car one scene and then the next scene he's not in the car and we never know what happened to him. 
you're in danger of making me feel that there was perhaps a tiny bit of skill involved in making this Satan scrabble bag of bastardry that we had to sit <laughs> You know, here's the thing, though. It almost feels like laziness. Because in Troma, it's so nonsensical that they really, they must have put some effort into it to be like, like somebody somewhere must have had an argument where it's like, but what happened to Toshi? We need to solve this. And somebody said, no, it doesn't matter. Suck it up. <laughs> Whereas here, they were like, okay, yeah, I guess we got to do something about that. So you, you're arguing that, that uh, this is the sort of um, Proustian endless sentence to Troma's Hemingway-ish cutting off all except the absolute bare minimum. Yeah, yeah. So all I'm saying is compared to Troma, I'd say this film is a slave to narrative standards. You know, I was thinking about it. <laughs> but that's only how, compared to Troma. How many of you, how many of you have had Japanese whiskey? Oh, I'm yeah. sure I have. Oh, I yeah. Japanese single malts are, um, I, 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 I have had Isla single malts and I like them. Like one of my favorites is Oban. You know, I also really like uh, Lagavulin. Um, and then I had somebody turn me on to a Japanese single malt and they're very similar but there's a there's a there's a like an almost like a like a, a milled steel edge quality to it where it's it's almost like it's it's so precise almost in human machine like precision yeah no yes. exactly that's exactly yeah. it they have yeah. they have calculated exactly what it is that makes scotch taste like scotch and they've followed that to precision whereas scotsmen just like fucking reach down and pull it out of their kilt <laughs> just reach down and whip it out oh yeah i mean i <laughs> won't drink oh i got I something down here <laughs> i won't drink a whiskey unless a peasant is drowned in it <laughs> <laughs> when they talk about oh this tastes like peat bogs that's exactly what they mean oh no <laughs> you got you've got some you got a couple of shit-faced scotsmen who are hacking peat out of a bog like fuck it i'll throw it in there uh, the Japanese are studying very carefully and writing down exactly yeah. how many pieces of peat they do, and right. they can taste that in the final scotch. And yeah. that, my opinion, in, in the in in the way that Troma, it might be the Isla single malt, and yep. this is the Japanese yeah. scotch whiskey version of a Troma film. Yeah, tastes like my ancestors. I can and kind of see the, hard. I can, <laughs> Sorry. I can kind of see where you're going with that incredibly extended and elaborate metaphor. <laughs> This is what I love about Brother Ethan. No, yeah, I think you're right that there is. Um, they, they've clearly got a lot of influences that they've been very careful to try and ape and copy, uh, even though many of those influences simply don't go together. But they they've put a lot of effort into where they have put effort. So I'll give them that. And at the same time, I've seen a bunch of really nutty um, indie Japanese films, and this has that same feel to it, which is distinctly Japanese. And not just in the, okay, we're going to precisely copy other things, but like it's got that Japanese manicness to it that you don't see hardly anywhere else. Yes. Yeah. Like the jet, that kind of mania that you see in the Ultraman movies from the 70s. Yeah. It's like all that has this real intensity to it that, that feels very specifically Japanese. Rather I would say that a lot of this is influenced by uh, Japanese theater 
and no performances where there's a very um, distinct style that actors have to move where they go from pose to pose to pose and there'll be a literature of poses. So if you mm. want to portray shock, there's a very specific pose that you move into in a juddering sort of way. They sort of shake into the pose so that you know it's coming and they describe the emotion by shifting into that pose with a very uh, arch robotic manner almost so that the audience is very much aware that this is what I am projecting now. And that comes across in, like you say, the, these sort of manic uh, martial arts type things where they're moving from position to position, to em from emotion to emotion. So I think, yeah, I think that this isn't just a, a general Japanese feel, but there's a very real cultural background to it in Japan. I see what you're saying. It makes a certain sense and it kind of maps well to that like rock and roll thing they're trying to do too, because it allows them to go straight into like, you know, the Elvis posing. Yeah. That yeah, so, uh, Guitar Wolf does a few times. Yes, yeah, so there's there's no transition. There's just calmness, then immediate rage, then immediately <laughs> the next the next thing. Which was my favorite thing about uh, Romper Suit Lady. Mm -hmm. is, is how quickly she could go to like, just flat out rage and violence. So I'll give it that it does in some way uh, evince the traditional Japanese cultural arts of the theatrical tradition of the sort of 14th to 16th century. Fine. If you have to drag that out of me, I'll give it that. <laughs> that uh, is, I definitely think that is the most cultured input that we've had on this film to date. Huh. I think that's about as cultured as we're going to get on this film. <laughs> So yeah, there's a there's an intense certainty of self that does shine through, and even though I can't say that it's a, a film that's going down in my all-time greats collection of things, I'm glad I saw for any reason. Yeah, you've you've persuaded me that there's a certain artistry there that uh, that at least has to be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. Well, here in the colonies, we have mastered capitalism, so we will take an ad break, and then come back for our judgment on Wild Zero. Turn now for the end of our conclave in which we bring judgment against Wild Zero. I would like to bring a point, a few facts to the point of order that I found interesting. Um, one of the things is that this was a very low budget film done by a first time director who had only dabbled in music videos. They shot it in Thailand, mainly because all of the explosions and firearm permits you just can't get in Japan. Japan being notoriously unarmed and not even really having a true standing army. So going to Thailand, they got the use of the Thai military and um, most of the zombies in the film are actually members of the military or their family and friends. Uh, but that is why they were able to get away with on an indie budget, all these huge explosions. And I have to say, I, you know, I applaud 
that kind of guerrilla filmmaking and think it is very, very punk rock. So all those uh, all those aspiring filmmakers out there who want to make a zombie movie or something that requires a shit ton of extras and military hardware, um, maybe all we need to do is fly the, the core production team to Thailand and uh, shoot there. Thailand is known for being a place where you can get pretty much anything you want. I would ask why a zombie film? What exactly is the point of the zombies? We don't know where they came from or why. We don't know if they're going to go away or if they're just a permanent feature of the world now. There's no real engagement with the whole zombie idea in the film. They just happen to be there. It has something to do with the meteor, I believe. Because it could be. Because Toshi and um, Haniko, they were on their way to find a meteorite that had crashed nearby. And I think that the meteorite had something to do with the aliens, whether they shot the meteorite down there as some sort of a pre-staging uh, attack for an invasion, or they were just chasing the meteorite that they wanted. That I believe we will never know, but the yeah, there's no real reason for it. It's just rock and roll. <laughs> Zombies just happen. When I was commuting to work on the, on my way to Busan, they they just showed up when I was trying to read in my paper, and it was a rough day. You know, <laughs> they just crash your your party, man. They just. <laughs> Just need to reboot after a day like that. Zombies are a well-known um, problem with the Korean rail system. <laughs> yes, yes. Brethren, brethren, I'm a modern guy. I listen to MP3s. I've got Netflix. I need a bit more than maybe it's something to do with a meteorite. I'm a sophisticated film goer. This is not good enough for me, and I, for one, am ready to leap to judgment on this whole mess. So sophisticated. Well, I believe that the themes that we must touch upon in this film is one, the premise that rock and roll can destroy aliens and zombies. Thoughts? Andre? Oh, we, all know the, we all know the real way that you get rid of aliens and zombies. It's terrifying and secret and shall not be mentioned for reasons I'm sure I don't need to remind you of. Uh, playing the Very devil's good. advocate here, the rock and roll conquers all. Rock and roll conquers all. <laughs> Which has led us to this sorry state we're in today. <laughs> True, true. I think rock. I don't know, but I think I think really we should just focus more on roll music. I mean, so many people focus on rock music that we just don't have enough roll out there. And I think maybe if we play a bit of roll music, we might drive them away. Like dinner rolls. <laughs> yes, long live roll. Rock. We roll will never die. <laughs> Not rock and or roll. It's rock and roll. <laughs> All right. Two is the thought, love has no borders, nationalities, or genders. But for a movie made in 2000, I think, uh, I, I think that's actually a very good message. And I think is uh, ironically a very sweet underlying message considering the rest of the film. Thoughts? If you could pull any kind of decent message out of this film, that's probably a good one. It's a good takeaway. What do you want? 
I think my take on Wild Zero may be a little different than a lot of other people's on this is that, uh, you know, I didn't like it the first time I watched it through. I mean, I liked the fact that it was trans friendly off the top, which again was sort of ahead of its time coming out as it did in like 99, 2000. Um, but like it didn't, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. It was kind of like a, a it was like a, I don't know if I'd say tedious exactly, but I mean, it was, it was difficult to watch through and, and maintain my attention. And I'm not sure why, but it wasn't. But, um, but, um, and on the second watch through, as I was writing my story, it, it, it kind of started to grow on me. Like, uh, I don't know, uh, like a, mold. Like, like a, like a rash or a mold or something. Yeah. Yeah. I began to think about it from a, a logistician's perspective. And I, as somebody who's done a lot of logistics on films, you know, that's that's all, well, I wouldn't say all I did for Smosh. I mean, I've done a lot of creative stuff too, but the work that I did for Smosh um, mostly was logistics. And they actually pulled off a lot of things that are hard to do and they did them serviceably, if not well. I mean, it's damn hard to get a ton of people in the frame and all made up as zombies. I mean, even if they're not made up well as zombies, it's it's hard to mobilize a bunch of people, get them into costume, get them into makeup and into frame. I mean, it is a it is a big effort. Well, um it is a big effort and imagine you you're a producer or you're you're someone working logistics and I come to you and I say, "Hey, I'm a new filmmaker. I've got this great idea." For this idea, I'm going to want Yakuza. I'm going to want explosions. There's going to be alien SFX. There's going to be zombies everywhere, lots of them, and multiple interweaving stories. If I came to you and said that, what would you be telling me? I'd be telling you that's at least an $11 million project because that that's, I have actually a pretty similar script of my own that I was shopping around for a while and everyone's like, yeah, you're not going to make this on a shoestring budget. But these guys did. And that's the thing that blows my mind. I mean, they pulled, they pulled it off. Like they, they got the zombies, they got the UFOs, they got a whole bunch of, uh, of, uh, uh, compositing done, you know, again, not great, but they did it with heart. You know, they did a bunch of things like like they had a lot of firearms and explosives and stunts and things that require a big logistical investment if you don't want to be completely reckless, which I'm sure these guys were. I'm sure they were. Oh, absolutely. They had to be. And I got to wonder, was there anything that they did compromise on? You know, were there any scenes where you have actual aliens walking around and they finally said, no, that's too much? Or did they literally get everything that they planned on and they just said doesn't matter what it takes we'll move the whole thing to thailand if we have to we're getting everything that we want to put into this this melting pot in there right which is exactly what they did according to to brother zach is they took it to thailand and they got exactly what they wanted i mean i guess that's what punk is about is telling I guess that's what punk is about is doing what you want, no compromise, telling exactly the story that you want to tell and and hang anybody else who tells you no, um, even if you don't tell it well. You could argue that the whole punk scene was very much based on that ethos because the first punk bands were guys with no musical experience, no real instruments and no ability to play them. And they just insisted that they're going to be a band. And all of these bands started up and fashion houses developed where they had no logistics, no shop fronts, no real ability to do anything. And yet they span their dream out into this whole movement that we're still talking about today. So there is something to be said for just 
insisting on your vision and seeing it through no matter what, regardless of your actual ability to do so. <laughs> that's, um, yes, that's, I, I think that is this movie in a nutshell, um, at least from my perspective. The, uh, it, it was upbeat. Yeah, I would, I'd be thinking upbeat thoughts as I watched the city burn as I <laughs> walked away with my, uh, with my guitar and my girl and partner in hand. And like, you know, tomorrow's going to be okay. That's uh, what I got out of it at the, at the end of the, uh, the first watching. You might even say, uh, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Oh. Yeah. Ouch. Oh, please. <laughs> that is... Better a... than before. Yeah. And that... It should never stop because it'll soon be here. <laughs> it'll be here sooner than before. Let us Because yesterday's gone. Yeah. Indeed. Andre, you had something to say? Oh, did I? I don't know. I mean, uh, it's just it's just fun. I mean, I, I really, really like movies that just acknowledge they're for fun. Just do do the thing, do it hard and uh, have a have a have a nice smoke after. You know what I mean? It's just a good time anyway. Also, as a brief aside, Andre, if you smoke afterward, please use more lube. <laughs> <laughs> copy that <laughs> okay one thing we Dude, also have cool. not really touched on is the stone face brilliant acting of tobio in this whole thing how she is just this passive fainting angelic, angelic motion emotionless almost just <laughs> figure through, throughout this entire thing. I, yeah, there's the motif of her getting illuminated by angelic light. It's great. And, and yeah. The staggering level of indifference actor, to everything happening The actor her. themselves, they rarely change their expression, whether it being kissed by Ace or chased down by zombies. I mean, there is a... Uh, Zen-like. Yes. <laughs> quality to it which is funny given that that she passes out as soon as masao shows up and whips out the butterfly knives like she passes out and you'd think she'd be a very tender spirit but um you know <laughs> she she hangs in there like she's she's in it to win it and then you know like uh, again just this this staggering level of zen indifference to fucking everything going on which is you know also kind of fascinating not sure if it's simply wooden acting or if it's if this idea of you are the ultimate level of cool and now with that said dear brother and unless there are any other points to bring up I will now say it is time to render judgments. Is the movie Wild Zero guilty of cinemania? I don't think so. I think this at best rises to the level of trash midnight movie. Unthinkable. We've never had a vote against cinemania. That goes against <laughs> everything this society was built to do. Ahem. Leave the bastard in interzone. Perhaps you have been uh, consuming entirely too much of the black meat, or perhaps entirely too much mugwumpism, or perhaps both. It's true. Love has softened my heart. He's fallen for his typewriter again. He's shagging the thing. Ooh, send video. On its way. Nice. Brother Andre. 100% guilty in the best way. That's one vote. Brother Ethan. 
Uh, yes, this film is is violently guilty of cinemania, and, and and especially in that it requires multiple watchings for me to comprehend. It is it, it is guilty of cinemania. Brother Andy, this 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 film, if you can call it that, makes you actually believe that the power of love and rock and roll will conquer all, and that by following your dreams you can achieve anything. Hideously dangerous, definite cinemania. And Brother Bill. Guilty. I'm right. just trying to do the math for how much <laughs> my therapist is going to make. <laughs> right, so we have four votes for Cinemania and one for not. You know, at first I wasn't sure, but uh, hearing the arguments about how uh, rock and roll could um, crumble the cynical bases of our society, um, I, I think there's a good uh, point to be made there. My recommended approach to how to deal with this uh, dangerous uh, cinemania-inducing film is not to ban it or destroy it in some fashion, but to simply filter it into theaters uh, as like trashy midnight showings. And that way, the cinemania will be diffused. People, it won't, it won't affect their brains that way. They'll, they'll go in expecting that this is just a trash um, movie and not in fact mind warping uh you know torture from beyond and uh they'll take it as such and be shielded from from the worst influences brother randy i think you should check the stash he's given you if he's talking about cutting straight dope this way look we knew that brother daniel was a dangerous iconoclast when we allowed him into this society his ideas have always been quasi heretical and on the verge of being utterly void bearing I myself, although loving this film, have to say that there are ideas in particular that will haunt you, visions that will cause you to scream into your nightmares. And therefore I find it also guilty of cinemania. That being said, I say that we find all copies of this film and launch them meteor-like into space where they will hopefully land on another planet or my cause a zombie, <laughs> zombie apocalypse. <laughs> With that judgment, it is time to conclude our conclave. And as the credits fade to black, so too must this conclave. But always remember, always remember fellows of the lens palm, as you gaze upon the lens, the lens gazes back. Conclave adjourned. That episode of the Cinemania Society featured Zachariah Burks, Ethan Ireland, Andy Slack, Andre Luke Martinez, Daniel Scribner, and special guest, William McDonough. Produced, mixed, and mastered by Ethan Ireland. Graphic design by Andy Slack. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Additional music courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Visit our website at thecinemaniasociety.podbean.com and check out our social media feeds. We're on Twitter at TCS underscore Cinemania and Facebook at the Cinemania Society. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends, mention us on social media, and if you can, subscribe and leave a rating or review wherever you found us. Our episodes drop every other Wednesday. You can also find us on Coffee and throw us a few bones. 
We love to make fun stuff for folks, but it isn't free to make. Anything and everything helps. Coming soon, the Cinemania Society will be creating pieces of video media, short films, and the like. So stay tuned, Cinemaniacs. The Cinemania Society is a production of the Cinemania Society, LLC.